Hello and welcome to Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. This is your podcast host, Don Griffith. Once again, I'm with Tim and Rose Swearingen. Some of you may have already listened to Episode 7, where Tim and Rose explain how they got started in Toastmasters. Today we'll discuss their leadership experience in District 3, how they got involved in leadership, the steps towards that, and their experiences as district governors. I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, let's, t- let's continue the leadership journey in Toastmasters. So, Rose, what was next for you? Well, I was Airy Governor 2004-2005, so 100 years ago in Toastmasters <laughs> years. And then I immediately was Division Governor right after that. And that was what was probably Saguaro now, but the Gila Division then. And I wanted to just jump right into the trio. I wanted to be Ligum, and it was Ligum then. Now okay, it's, so when you, when you say trio, what are you referring to? Uh, it's the top three positions in our organization on the district level. So club growth director, program quality director, and then district director. We called it something else back in the day, but I'll refer to yeah. them as the new terms. So I wanted to just jump in and be club growth director, and my mentors were like, no. You need to do committee work and all of that. So then I was conference chair and I was conference chair when we had two conferences and I was conference chair for the entire year. So I was able to develop a team that stayed that entire year. And one of my goals was to raise a significant amount of money for that entire conference year. So it we ended up raising almost $8,000 okay. and that was a huge. And then after that, I was kind of burnt and I took a couple years off where I just did kind of smaller committee roles where I didn't have to, you know, spend 10 hours a week or five to 10 hours a week or mm-hmm. even more to do a major committee. Well, being a conference chair, tell us a little bit about what's involved in that from a standpoint of how many people are involved, what, uh, what are the kinds of things that you were able to do that you couldn't do before Toastmasters? Well, just being given such a big project. Uh, I had worked in some sales teams prior as a marketing coordinator, kind of executive assistant to the marketing manager. And that was 10 admins all working together. There was a lead admin and she was in charge. Well, now I was in charge and that was really kind of scary. Um, you know, the conference committee is a, like I said, I did too. So we were able to get people who were going to do the whole entire year, which was great. Um, you're, you've got to think about everything from the banquets, who's going to help put out the programs. Are we going to have decorations? We're going to have to develop a program that people can look at. Do we want to sell advertising? We had first timers, club pride, all these little subcommittees. I had a budget chair that would help make sure that we weren't spending thousands that we didn't need to spend. And so and, it's... And you had outside people coming in, right? You had speakers yep, coming in that you had to arrange? Had a lot of outside speakers. Had the international director come and visit. We had to make sure that we had the right space. We found the right facilities. Contests. It was 
you know, I, I think we had probably 15 subcommittee chairs and then those subcommittee chairs had people who worked on that committee. And so we sold a lot of advertising. We got a lot of corporate sponsorship and it was great because then we could actually lower the cost of the conference for the attendees because the goal is always to break even or to spend as little as possible on a conference. You want it to pay for itself. And at the other end of the need spectrum, that's the financial, that's the nuts and bolts, making sure we don't, you know, mismanage the money. But on the other end, you needed it to be interesting conference. You needed it to be fun. You needed it well attended. So there was a lot of elements to this. That sounds like an incredibly complex job. Yeah. You know, we pick themes, and I had actually had to serve on the conference committee for a couple of years before I got to be the conference chair, which helped Mm -hmm. because then I got to see what everyone else was doing and how they managed their teams. So it was, you know, getting, you know, great raffle items and getting fun and exciting educational sessions and making sure that, you know, we were focusing on the things that would inspire people to go. Because getting people there is always right. always a challenge. And when they leave on on Sunday, they will have a good memory of, of a fun event. Yes. I wish social media had been a little bit more prevalent because yeah. we could have done hashtags and like yeah. <laughs> had Facebook posts. But in 2007, we didn't have that. So there's a case where it makes a lot of sense to get some experience first. And you said it, you were on the committee as a committee member learning the ropes, and then you had your chance to lead the committee, and now you knew some of the nuances. Yeah. And you knew when some of your team was over their head, and you were able to provide that help, things like that. Yeah, for sure. And that really helped later on when I was in the trio, because then I could delegate. Yeah. I didn't need to be in the weeds, like... I trusted my conference chair to just do the job and I didn't have to worry. I knew everything that was happening, but I wasn't micromanaging them. Right. It's not like, you know, if you get promoted to a general manager at a manufacturing company, you're no longer worrying about what size box (laughs) to put the widget in. Yeah. So we'll come back to that when I was on the trio comment. Yes. We'll come back to that. So, Tim, you're in Arizona now. I'm in Arizona, and I unpacked the box that had my manuals in it. Two speeches away from being a... Two speeches away from my (laughs) distinguished Toastmaster. And um, this is a tale of, oh, it's so powerful that someone actually answered the phone. I called four clubs. And when I called the fourth, no one answered the phone. No one had called me back. So... The fourth club that I called, I actually decided as I was dialing that if I didn't get a call back within 24 hours, that was just it. That was God telling me I was done with Toastmasters. And I happened to call that club. And at the time, I lived in the northwest part of the Phoenix Valley. So it was a club in North Phoenix called Speakeasy Toastmasters. And Dave Reichert actually answered the phone. And he gave me the information about his meeting. And I decided I would, and I told my my wife at the time that I was just going to go to the club to finish my distinguished Toastmaster. That was it. That was the whole intent. 
I had not actually canceled my membership in my club in Indiana. So I was still a paid member of a club that I couldn't actually go to every week. And I just decided that yeah, I'll go to this club and I'll finish my Distinguished Toastmaster. I don't know. It was like a month or so later. I'm in this club. I like this club. What happens? Club officer elections. <laughs> Were you there this time? I was there this time. And I kind of <laughs> knew what I was signing up for. And, and lo and behold, you know, the Toastmasters promise, you know, willingly serve as a club officer when called upon to do so. They needed a vice president membership. And so I'm like, yeah, I can do vice president membership. That's not a big deal. And with that comes, well, now you have, I knew from my experience in Indiana, I had to go to club officer training. So off I go to club officer training. And it was unlike any club officer training I'd ever been to. And being the direct person that I am, I, I figured out who was in charge. And at the time, Trish Blackwelder was our TLI chair. And Nancy Starcasty wasn't far because Nancy had kind of pushed Trish, I think, into that role. She does that, doesn't mm. she? She does do that. And you might, so you can detect <laughs> that Nancy's this common thread in the swear engines world. And I, wa I walked up to them and I remember almost verbatim what I said. I said, so TLI, you're doing it wrong. Because it was so just out of the box from anything I was used to, anything I was used to from Toastmasters International. We just, we were doing it differently. And it's not, it wasn't that it was bad. It just felt wrong because it really was cutting edge. And then this was 2002, 2001, 2002, I think. And so it took me that long to unpack the box to wind up going, <laughs> it was 2001, to wind up going to that club and getting elected as a club officer. And so they, they said, oh, really? Well, why don't you come to our next committee meeting and help us be part of the solution. Okay, I'll do that. Well, shoot. That <laughs> that became this, you know, I go to that committee meeting and that's where I meet Joe DeRico and Joe wound up getting elected as district governor in 2003-2004, I think. And he needed someone to help him as administration manager. And, Go figure, the engineer guy would be really organized and detail-oriented at that. So I took on administration manager at the time, and uh, that really became the thing that wound up leading me into, you know, more service opportunities. We had a club growth director that couldn't continue through the to the program quality director role because of some health concerns. And, they weren't sure who would do it. And Nancy's like, you know, you'd do really good at that job. And the year I'd been administration manager, I'd helped the club growth directors, the membership chair. So I was very involved and in like looking at, oh, well, we didn't retain this member. We didn't retain Don as a member. Don, I'm going to call you up. and I'm going to find out why you didn't. <laughs> I actually called people and did exit interviews and why they didn't renew. It was the first year we could get non-renewal information from Toastmasters International. And so I, I'm like, oh, well, let's find out. And we learned that a lot of people had left their club and it was the first time they'd ever heard from anybody. So I'd had this, I'd done some work 
in like the club growth role. And I was doing work as administration manager and I was still a club officer. And I, I don't know, I belonged to a lot of clubs at the time. And so I wound up in 2004, 2005 being elected as the program quality director. That's one of those trio people we were talking that about. That is here. one of those trio people that <laughs> trio. we... And most people, when they go into that role, they they usually, you know, remember I had been an area director and a division director and a public relations manager in another district. And most people, when they do that, they do those, they do those types of things. They have that kind of progression and they work on committees in the district that they go into a trio role. And here I am, I've lived here maybe four years at the time and I got elected as program quality director without ever having been the entry what was kind of considered the entry level role of club growth right. director right yeah so Rose what was next for you uh, so one of the things about me is if if I'm going to do something I want like the checklist I want these are the things I need to do and learn and so that time between conference chair and actually running for club growth chair or director, I studied. I spent time with past district governors and just talked to all of you <laughs> <laughs> and spent a lot of time with Art Nieto, who was our club extension chair for many, many years, and just learning the job. And I remember that when I put in my paperwork, I told Nancy, and she said, you know, you are the most prepared person who has ever run for this role. And I can tell you that you're not even half prepared. And oh, she was so right. Because <laughs> you... I think most people kind of look at the tree. So wait a minute, let me make sure I understand. Yeah. Even though you had really worked hard yeah. to prepare and study and talk to people and get advice, there was still so much more. There's so much more. Because I think what people just see is, oh, the people at the head table and how fun does that look? And, yeah. oh, there's four meetings a year. And the glamour, yeah. The, yeah, the really pretty stuff. They don't tell you that, like, you'll be laying in bed crying at some point. <laughs> <laughs> during that year and really and at the time our measurements for success were a lot different and you know I was really blessed to have someone full who could devote his full time to club extension Let's stop you there and say yeah measurements of success now as a regular individual Toastmaster you had goals mm -hmm. and objectives yeah you know complete so many speeches do so many projects and so forth but now you're talking about goals of the organization that you're responsible for. Yeah, exactly. So it so every district has a district success plan. And at the time, our critical success factors were a little bit they're they're pretty much the same, but they're you know, we had of course number of clubs, members, but we also were very targeted on how many competent communicators and competent leaders we had. And we weren't necessarily looking at the overall health of a club. Distinct, mm -hmm. We didn't have that distinguished club goal percentage. So it was really about as the club growth director is charter clubs, try to save clubs and get as many members in as we can. So, you know, you get into the role and you just think, oh, it's clubs will just happen. And 
members will just come to meetings and it's so not that way. Mm-hmm. You really have to. It's work. Yeah, it's work. It's like a, another part-time, full-time experience. And I'm, I'm not saying that to discourage anyone from doing it. It's just you kind of have to know what you're getting into. Right. But it does take, yeah. it takes the volunteers, yeah, including the volunteers at the trio level, have to attend to certain things like attrition. Yeah. Attrition, <clears throat> it's a natural process in any organization, whether it's a something like Toastmasters or even companies or anything else. You have to worry about people leaving. Yeah. Especially people, good people who know a lot and that were key leaders. You know, all of a sudden they're gone and there's this hole. Yeah. And one of the things that we did was we did a We Want You Back campaign. And like Tim was saying, we could get the names of the people who had not renewed. So we were able to take that list and target them with postcards. And then I had an Excel guru who did the compare of the membership list after the renewals. And we found that we gained like a thousand members back. And so that was a huge success that year. And we, although we always lose a certain percentage of clubs, we were able to charter more. So at the end of that year, we were out of, I don't know, there were probably 86 or 87 districts then in the world. We were 19 in the world. One of the things that I I know about Toastmasters, because I went through a lot of the same things that you two are talking about, is as you start out, you have what they call span of control in business terms. Maybe if you're the club president and you've got 20 members, that's your span of control. You're helping 20 people. When you become an area governor or area director, now you've got six or seven clubs, so maybe it's 100, 150 people. And you keep accelerating that. Now when you get up to the trio level, what is our how many members do we have in Arizona? I I think at the time we were about thirty eight hundred. Yeah, I think we're we're over four thousand, I yeah. think, now. Yeah. But yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. And and a couple of hundred clubs. This is something again, it gets back to the issue of you're not able to do all these things by yourself. You must have teams and you must have direction. And vision, and they need to, they're looking to you for that leadership. Yeah. yeah. And in that role, um, we active, the, the division directors were part of what we then called the marketing committee. And we had monthly meetings with them. We also had, you know, the dues renewals chair. I mean, you have in the club growth role, you have smaller committees and more of them. Right. And so, you know, it was a good 15 people and there was, and what I had tried to do is find someone in that group who would be a great candidate to be a club growth director later. And in fact, the membership chair for my club growth year ended up becoming a club growth director and a district governor himself Mm -hmm. later. So you... I did what people had done for me, which was to create a path. You were, an, you were an advanced scout. Yes. You were a talent scout. And you not only identified someone who you've had some confidence in and some belief that they could do better, and but you gave them opportunities. Yeah. Tim, when did you 
become, you said you became a TRIO member? So it was, I was elected in May of 2004, took office on July 1st. At that time, TRIO in the United States, TRIO members went to a regional conference and it was usually in June. And that's where we received our training. And then you went to the international convention and there was no real training for North American districts at that time at the convention. It was, we were there focused on candidate interviews and actually had an opportunity to, to go to workshops and kind of experience the conference more as a member and participate in the business meeting. And so I went to my first convention. It was August of 2004 in Reno. And, you know, I'd come into the program quality director role and I had an understanding that I had these things called conferences and TLIs to lead. We had very strong people in that had been recruited for those roles through the efforts of my predecessor, Cindy Newburn. Um, much like my club experience where it was just this expectation that, you know, you go to conference and speech contest. Coming into a trio role at that time, it was an expectation that we're going to be a distinguished district. It just, it's, it was a tradition that started with you as district director, and you had been a distinguished district, and then Joe was a distinguished district, and then Cindy was on a velocity, you know, that was just, we strung together several years of being a successful district, and we had a very, we had a formula for that. We kind of understood what pieces we need to put in place, and we were very much about advanced planning and and trying to think forward and working off of really a three-year plan in any given year. I go to the convention in August of 2004, and that also happened to be the year and the convention where Nancy Starkasty was campaigning as an international director. Really became the first time I was ever aware that there was this international director thing. Really didn't understand the role very much at all. And she was elected. And what I what I remember from that convention, because I have a photo from it, that Friday night, um, Friday nights at the convention, they used to have a Friday fun night. And we would always ditch that as a district because it really, whether it was really fun or not, we always, get, everyone <laughs> who was there from District 3 always got together for dinner someplace yep. offsite. And that was kind of a, hey, we're going to break bread and socialize. And, and it was, re I really enjoyed those, those Friday nights. Those were really fun nights for us. And at that dinner, Nancy Starkasty and I are sitting down at one end of the table and we're having this conversation and she's telling, she's giving me all this advice about this lieutenant governor education and training or this program quality director role. And because having been at the convention, I'd now interacted with people who had the same job as me from all over the world. So I just had all these ideas going through my head of how we might be able to do things a little bit differently and be and still be effective as a distinguished district. And one of the things she said to me is, you know, someday you'd make a really great international director. And I gave her a zillion reasons why that was never going to happen. And she <laughs> said, you know, I get that you feel that way right now, but when, when you're ready, I'll be there. And, and over that year as Lieutenant Governor Education and Training or Program Quality Director of my years, district director, my years immediate past district director, you know, one constant was, was Nancy, who is there not only to, to be the leader of my cheerleading section, 
but also to pick up the phone and call me and tell me when I was being really obtuse. And there are quite a few moments of those in, in my world. And so that I really appreciated that we had this friendship where she could call me up and say, hey, you're really being a jerk or you're really missing the ball on this, in my opinion. And, and I want you to sit down and you know, let's talk. She made this promise and she stuck with me and she stuck with. Look, there were times as a district director, you, th you get elected district director and everyone tells you how great you are and you think you know everything. And I'll tell you, before the end of August, so we're not even done with two months, <laughs> I got pulled into a conference room in a workplace. And there's Nancy and there's Cindy Newburn, who'd been, who's the immediate past district director. And there are a couple of other past district directors that were in that room. And they're like, so you are really, when you say this to your teammates, they don't understand what it means and it's really causing a problem. And mm -hmm. if you don't get in front of this, you're really gonna have a lot of problems to come. And I was like, oh, okay, that, that's good feedback. I wasn't really that gentle about it, but we, <laughs> we, we got through it, right? Right, but it, it was a tough message. It, it was a tough message. It was delivered with love. It was delivered, you know, consistently everyone I've ever had mentor me in any role. And this is something that I carry forward in how I mentor people. They wanted me to be as successful, if not more successful that, than they had been in the role. They didn't want me to make the same mistakes they had made in the role. You know, so if I was saying, well, I'm going to try this. Okay. Well, we tried that before. What's different now. This is how it failed before. Tell us how it's different now. And so I, I was just really blessed with these very present mentors. You know, it's a, as we listen to Rose, I mean, that's also a common thread. You know, Rose didn't, I, I know Rose in her journey, she didn't always like it when people told her no. I was actually one of those leaders that told her no at one point. What? Right? She still married me years later, right? But, but she stuck with it and she had this mentoring relationship with people around her who had been there and done that that had credibility for her that they could deliver news that you didn't the things that you didn't always want to hear you know one of the so I'll, I'm going to share this story this involves Rose from my district director year oh my and what, what year are we talking about this here? is 2005 2006 so not too long ago I like to think, but it's, I realize it's, it's ancient history in Toastmasters land. So at the time, again, it was a, a, a situation where we did not have set like three, five, eight percent goals. You know, we had some ability to set some stretch goals and you, you were measured against your performance was measured against other districts and districts were ranked in the world. And so at the time, the first six districts, those were your president's distinguished districts. Your second six, were, those are your select distinguished. And then everyone else, you were distinguished. And there was, you know, points and, you know, calculations behind all that that aren't important now. And so at the time, when you have two people in the trio who happen to be Eagle Scouts, you wind up doing things in June with your division directors that feel very outward bound-ish. <laughs> Which is how we wound up in the middle of the woods in the mountains of Prescott, 
doing this full day. Let's go set our goals. You know, we had the division directors help us set our goals. We had an orienteering course. I still have a, a compass up in the cabinet you here. You had a retreat. We had. We, we did. did. We, we had a retreat, and we <laughs> and we let the division directors help us set goals. Yeah. And we all agreed that we were going to hold each other accountable for these goals. And they picked some crazy, crazy oh, numbers. We like, were optimistic. They, yeah. They, they were cuckoo for cocoa puffs. But the the trio, we didn't want to. We didn't want to curb their enthusiasm, so we let them go. Understanding that that goals at the time, and I think goals in any time, can be a bit of a living, breathing thing. And sometimes you have to apply pivots to reach them. So now let's flash forward six months, and we're it's mid year, and again we decided that we would do something very outside the box for like a mid year check in, and so we took all the division directors to skydive Arizona. And they had an indoor wind tunnel. Yeah, he didn't push us out of plates or anything. Yeah. Just clarifying. They would have pushed me out of plates. Oh, yeah. You've been first. We, 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 we had this thing where we had a session where one of our friends came in and he, he helped manage Skydive Arizona at the time. And he talked about how you don't always pack your own parachute. And the, the, the end of this parable was, you know, really as, as a trio... We didn't pack our parachute to be successful as a district. We were relying upon the division directors. And division directors didn't really pack their parachute to be a successful division. They were reliant upon their area directors. And area directors were relying upon clubs. So no one ever really packed the own, their own parachute that they were going to jump out of the plane with. And we also and we did this fun thing where we all had an opportunity to go get in the wind tunnel and get blown around and you know put that kind of into practice. And it was... Like, really, it was a really fun experience. But during that, I'll never forget, so our, our facilitator of the parachute story left. And so now it's myself, the two, the program quality director, the club growth director, the immediate past district director was there. Um, I think Nancy was there because she was a sitting international director and we had invited her. And, now, and it's the division directors. And they spent a good half an hour, 45 minutes yelling at me about how we let them set these crazy goals and they realized we're not going to hit them. But we, we, the trio collectively <laughs> kept pushing them on these goals. So they spent in, and I'll never forget the club growth director started to step in. I'm like, no, no, let them. And, and I just stood there and let them vent for a good 45 minutes and they got it off their chest. And then we came up with what the new goals would be that yeah. we were going to pivot. And I don't even remember what the number was. I do. Uh, it was 175 clubs and 7,500 members. And I will confess at this point that um, me and the five others just huddled and said, let's just pick a number. So we just picked numbers. Because we had, like, what were we, like, 210 clubs? Like, our original thing was, like, 9,000 members and 200 clubs and crazy. And I just said, let's just give them a number. Because we were, like, so over the experience. And we hit almost exactly the 100. We hit the, we hit the member number exactly. We hit the member number exactly. And I think we were, like, 176 yeah. or 177 for clubs. So... There was no scientific method well, to picking these but numbers. What, the, what there was was a lot of thought about a number. Yeah. There was a lot of thought about what the number means. 
Yeah. That it meant real people. Yeah. And you had to go find those real people. And regardless what the number is, the process of meeting that goal is the same. Whether it's a ridiculous number or yeah. a, a moderately ridiculous number or a, a number. But if you set the number, either you don't have a number, and you're just going to, oh, we'll take what we get. Right. That's that's not going to work. Yeah. Well, and, and, I knew, and I, so I knew in that moment at that mid-year event that I just needed to let them yell and get it off their chest. And and I think Rose will tell you, and we should just let her tell us, I think that was the moment. So they gave us the new number. And whether they picked it out of a hat or there was a lot of, it doesn't matter. It was a number that they all agreed to that we were willing to accept, right? It was a stretch number in it, it was, case. Oh, right? it was still a stretch number, absolutely. Because mm -hmm. it was not a foregone conclusion that we were going to hit that at all. But I think the moment of empowering them to yell at us, and, and literally it was yelling behind these closed doors, and allowing them to pick, pick those stretch goals, that was the moment. That was really the moment when we, when we made Distinguished District. Right. Yeah. And we were still months away from that. And so you flash to... The end of that year, we get to April, and four of the six divisions at the time are presidents distinguished. Now, I'm going to confess something. When I was a division director, I really just cared about my division. I'm just going to be honest mm -hmm. about it. I hit presidents distinguished in April. I'm like, yay, I'm done. Woohoo! Yeah, successful. Yeah. And, Miller but, time. Yeah. Yeah, it was Miller time. And But when, when the four of those division directors, including Rose, hit presidents distinguished, they worked harder in April, May, and June to get the other two to one made presidents and made presidents because drove, Rose drove, like, I think, freaking all the way across. It's like you drove to California, I think. Yeah. She drove, drove all the way across the valley. To get a membership application or get a check for a membership application. Yeah. yeah. And, and the other one made select distinguished. And... The net of this is that on June the 1st, 2006, I woke up, and it's the day I'm leaving for the regional conference. At the time, was in Oklahoma City that year. So I wake up early in the morning, and the number's always updated on a Friday. And this was a Friday morning, and I logged into my computer, and we were distinguished. We made distinguished in 11 months. In, a, in the year where we did the most significant dues increase ever in Toastmasters International History. And we got there because of committed team members like Rose and the area directors and the clubs. And so I flew to the regional conference as a distinguished district. We knew we were distinguished. We thought maybe we would make select. And I was absolutely... I was setting up a computer. It was late July. I was setting up a computer for a TLI. At a, now, the, now, the end of the year is June 30th. The end of the year is June 30th. So here it is, June 30th. You're waiting for the you're, results you're wait, to be You're tabular. waiting, you know, at oh, the time. A you long to, time. You, you had to wait longer then <laughs> than you do now. Yeah. You, so it was a good, like, three weeks for them to finish tabulating all the year-end stuff. Right. And I know there's still a bit of a lag as they do that. But one of the things, when you're a distinguished or better district director, the international president calls you. And so my, I, 
my call came on a Saturday morning when I was at TLI. And so I was able to run down. I was in this room all by myself and I didn't want to be. I was like, hold on, Dillip, let me. And so I, I found a couple. I found the club growth director, the now program quality director. And I found one of the gentlemen who had been a division director that year. And I'm on the phone with the international president. And I'm like, OK, I'm ready. And he tells me that we're a president's distinguished district. And I've got a poker face. I'm like, great. Thanks, Dillip, for the news. And I hang up the phone. Only you could do a poker face. <laughs> and I looked and I looked at these two and I said, so we didn't make select distinguished district. I'm really sorry, guys. And you can oh, remember. No, you did not. Oh, I he did. did. I did. <laughs> he did. And so, um, so, so they're like, oh, well, you know, that's okay. It was really, it was really, it's really, it was really difficult at the time to reach that. I mean, you really... You know, yeah. the growth overseas was is always absolutely phenomenal. And remember, I'm we're gauged against districts worldwide. And I said, no. I said, no, we were president's distinguished number six in the world. And they started crying. Oh, and yelling. You could hear yeah. them down the hallway. And meanwhile, there's a room of like 400 people <laughs> for this TLI. And so, like, you got to go on stage and tell everybody. So we got to celebrate this as a district early. And we... Number six in the world. It was one of the most successful years that we had in Toastmasters. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. To volunteer to be featured on the podcast or to suggest future topics, write podcast at aztoastmasters.org. That email again is podcast at aztoastmasters.org. Toastmasters International and all other Toastmasters International trademarks and copyrights are the sole property of Toastmasters International. This podcast is independent of Toastmasters International. It is not endorsed by, sponsored by, affiliated with, or otherwise connected with Toastmasters International other than for the use of the name Toastmasters International.